Hi everybody, uh, we're going to get started. Uh, my name is Brandon Weatherby. This is Important Records. Uh, it's the fourth installment of this series that we do. Uh, hopefully it's fun. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it goes horribly awry. But for the most part, it's a fun experience. Talented people will talk about a record that they love and find important, hence the name. And then talented individuals will perform songs from said record. And then I will close the show and turn that equation on its head. And an amazing woman will perform songs. And then I'll talk so much stuff you might not like that record by the end of the evening. So it's going to be a lot of fun. The store is open, is open for business. It's not just a beautiful set that we've built here in West Logan Square. This is not Logan Square. You have to stop lying to people. This is, neighborhood is not Logan Square. It's never going to be Logan Square. It's a different neighborhood. Anyways, um, I'm going to bring up Seth. Seth is the uh, first presidential. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Seth Vanek, everybody. Seth. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you, Brandon, for allowing me to be involved in this wonderful series. I like talking with people about music. Um, so we're going to start with a song, and then I'm going to read an essay off my phone. Uh, and then... Do you want me to print it? Oh, no. You guys don't mind, right, if I read off my phone? And then uh, we'll play another song at the end. Uh, I'm... I want to give my thanks to Aaron Caffel for um, singing with me today. Um, thanks for yeah. having me. She's one of my favorite singers, and she is a real champ for doing this. by um, Songs of Haya, and I did not um, 
I did not know at the time that it was coming out in like a limited edition double LP. This wasn't like a uh, secretly Canadian did not like arrange this with me as a promotional stunt, I promise. Um, okay, so this is what I decided to write. Um, if you were a sad, uncertain young person at the turn of the millennium, uh, you had plenty of options when it came to music to brood to, uh, which, to be honest with you right here up front, was and is my favorite kind of music. Uh, plaintive confessional songwriting was such an embarrassment of riches in the indie rock realm during that time that you could even afford to be a locavore about it, if you so wished, though we didn't have that stupid word for it then. If you were in Portland in the Pacific Northwest, you had Elliot Smith to provide the perfect soundtrack to the dreary, rain-soaked months. If you were in Nebraska, you probably had no choice but to listen to Bright Eyes, even if his warbly singing voice rubbed you the wrong way. If you were anywhere else in or near the South, you had any of a number of Will Oldham projects and personas, each with their own mythology and drawl. If, like me, you're in Chicago, there is no better practitioner of the art of the seven-minute Midwestern gut punch than Jason Molina. Like all of my important records, I don't know how I came across Didn't It Rain by Songs Ohio. Uh, it just appeared before me. I know it was before I got my first iPod. So I was still using a CD disc man to go on long late night walks among the warehouses and train tracks around what's called the Kinsey Industrial Corridor. At the time, I was buying most of my CDs at the Lakeview Borders. Do you remember Borders? <laughs> Where, uh, quite coincidentally, my sources tell me that Jason worked for a short stint after moving here from Indiana in 1999. But to be honest, it's far more likely that at that time I was using a CDR copy of a copy of the album downloaded illegally by a friend from LimeWire. You remember LimeWire? That's why there's no more borders. <laughs> As you might know, these pieces of plastic were easily damaged and scratched, especially if subjected to the shabby treatment of myself and the other three sad, uncertain young men I shared a West Town warehouse with during that time. As a result, my copy of Didn't Rain was pretty mutilated and skipped noticeably during the first half, and I could only really listen to the later songs if I wanted to experience its melancholy spell uninterrupted. Lucky for me, the last three songs of the record, both musically and thematically, hold together beautifully. They had so much in common aesthetically that I was happy to listen to them on infinite repeat during my nightly wanderings as one 18-minute meditation on loneliness, guilt, and isolation set against a Midwestern industrial backdrop. The songs are Blue Factory Flame, Two Blue Lights, and Blue Chicago Moon. The Blue Trilogy, I called them to myself. Uh, something about the Blue Trilogy, so-called Blue Trilogy, felt like it was entirely mine. Not only had I created my own three-song mini-album, but the setting and mood were perfectly tuned to my time and place, even though I had very little context for what I was listening to. I'd never really heard of the band Songs Ohio. In fact, it took an embarrassingly long time for me to realize that the name was not a typo, and none of my friends were fans. Um, their modest pitchfork breakthrough was to come with their next release, the seminal Magnolia Electric Company, and although I recognized the music as indie rock, it was so rooted in blues and gospel and mid-period Neil Young that I imagined it could have been produced any time in the last three decades. But in fact, it was recorded and released in 2002, only a year or so before I found it. So if you're like me, then this feeling of a timeless song appearing out of nowhere and speaking exclusively and directly to you is like hitting the musical jackpot. Uh, but perhaps I should describe the music. So the musical accompaniment is spare, mostly a reverb guitar at times a no-nonsense rhythm section. The singing is mournful, but in a way that is plain-spoken and unembellished. No over-the-top, oh-bursty, emo, vibrato, or Oldham-esque affectations here. Molina's voice is warm but pliant, and it floats above the mix so that when he wants to subtly bend or break it so that you get something, you get it. 
The lyrics, uh, for me, the lyrics are the main course. They are alternately direct and poetic, but always dark as fuck. They tend towards interiority, but will often situate the narrator in space. And on Didn't It Rain, the spaces are bus stops at night, traffic jams on the bridge between Chicago and Hammond, Indiana, abandoned bell towers and freighter ships off the shore of Lake Michigan. I would ride my bike at night through the Finkel Steel Factory on Cortland with the glow of the molten steel radiating through the industrial doorways, just thinking, I can't believe they are not blasting blue factory flame from the sound system right now. <laughs> Why I thought they would have a sound system at the steel factory, I do not know. Um, but anyway, Blue Factory Flame is the first song on my Blue Trilogy, and it starts with maybe my favorite stanza by Molina, and it goes like, um, I'm going to read the lyrics, sorry. Uh, when I die, I leave my bones in an empty street to remind me how it used to be. Don't write my name on a stone. Bring a Coleman lantern and a radio, the Cleveland game, and two fishing poles. And watch with me from the shore the ghostly steel and iron ore ships coming home. So, I mean, to me, like Carl Sandburg, eat your heart out on that. Um, so, I'm talking in generalities as if I'm qualified to characterize an artist with 17 albums to his name. Uh, the embarrassing truth is that I tend to be very superstitious with music listening. If a song floats my way at the right moment and hits me just right, I consider it bad luck to find and listen to the album that it comes from for fear of breaking the spell. Similarly, with albums, uh, I'm not the kind of person who will go out and buy an artist's whole oeuvre once I've, touched, I've been touched by a single piece of work. So I'm a little ashamed to say that to this day I've never listened to another song's Ohio or Magnolia Electric Company record all the way through. Um, so I won't be able to situate Didn't It Rain within Molina's body of work for you. But the songs that have reached me I've really dug into, and as we all know with really good music, you know, it takes several listens for something to sink in, but then when it does, it sinks in very deep and Molina's work is no exception. So at the risk of being a little pedantic here, I thought I would zoom in on a little bit of a song, one of my favorite songs. It's not from Didn't It Rain, but it's from the next record. Uh, and the song is called The Big Game is Every Night. And I like it because it sort of illuminates some of Molina's uh, uh, skill as a songwriter, and um, it also uses a lot of sports imagery, which is something that no other songwriter I really know is able to do. And right in the middle of the song, he sings... Now light the field for the big game tonight. Mark Twain to Thomas Jefferson. Strike. Luke the drifter to Zimmerman. Line drive to keep the team alive. And I loved this line the first time I heard it, and then after the 12th time I heard it, I looked up the references, and I loved it even more. Um, if you aren't an American studies major, maybe you don't know that Mark Twain wrote several bitingly satirical letters under the name Thomas Jefferson Snodgrass, or that Luke the Drifter is the numb de plume that Hank Williams used for his more religious material. Zimmerman, of course, we all know is our friend Bob Dylan. So the lines for me don't just represent an imaginary pickup game of luminaries, but a critique or a, a reading of, of history through a certain lens. Either way, it's as poetic and incisive assessment of American letters as you're likely to find hiding in a single stanza of blues, especially one preceding another one that sings the praises of those other American poets, Johnny Unitas and Walter Payton. My point here is that Molina's not just a sad sack singing about a girl that broke his heart. Molina's playing the big game, and the big game is every night. If this makes you curious at all about the man and his music, and I hope it does, um, I strongly recommend Max Blau's piece that was in The Reader in October, which, unlike this, is a well-researched and written piece of journalism that outlines Molina's life, work, and struggle with addiction. Um, my own experience of his story has three short inflection points that I thought I would list that sort of outline the arc, or at least the end of it. Um, in 2009, I was touring with my band Roommate, and we opened for a hilarious punk band called the Coke Dares in Dubuque. 
and we were chatting after the show. And the members said that they were their day job sort of was working as the backup band for Molina in the Magnolia Electric Company. And so when I asked what it was like working with Jason, they said, not so good, and sort of laughed, a grimacing laugh amongst themselves and changed the subject. So it turns out that um, during that time, his bandmates, Molina's bandmates, would have to take turns babysitting him on tour buses and in dressing rooms to make sure that he wouldn't drink himself into so much of a stupor so as to have to be carried on and off the stage. And a lot of shows were canceled or ruined, especially in Europe. Um, in 2011, I saw a blog post from the record label Secretly Canadian giving an update on Molina and his work and asking fans for contributions for a fund to help with the medical expenses built up from being in, out of, uh, in and out of emergency rooms and rehab facilities all over, including New Orleans, London, and Indianapolis. I think I donated $20, which in my mind was more than enough to atone for the decade of mileage I got out of one half of a burned CDR. And then in March 2003, it was announced that Jason Molina died in his apartment from organ failure due to alcoholism. He was working on a new release at the time. So at each of these points, I went back to my trusty Blue Trilogy, and I got a little bit more of a chill each time, especially during the last part of the last song, which is called uh, Blue Chicago Moon. And I think Aaron's going to sing it for us. So thanks. This is my first time playing electric guitar for people. I'm much more of a ukulelist. <laughs> and we have some like shorts. Ukuleles don't have shorts usually. <laughs> Brought along 
it look like he might be all right? The blues are your hunter. You will come face to face with that darkness and Yeah, man, oh man. <laughs> Is it okay to do plugs at this point? Oh, Can I plug? Oh, oh, sure. Well, Aaron does this great thing at the hideout every winter. It's like a Christmas show. It's based around this wonderful Jim Henson special from the 70s called Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. <laughs> it's going to be at De- on December 13th, and uh, we're going to play some songs from that special and some other Christmas songs. Yes, super twee, some country, very yeah. nerdy. Oh, I'm sorry, my, my Lauren. Incidentally, Lawrence, Lawrence Peters, Peters, who sings on a songs Ohio record, will yeah. be singing. Yeah, and, he sings old red or old red hen. Uh huh. Yeah. Black hen. Old black hen. Thank you. And my band, the Tiny Cover Band, will play. Mm-hmm. And so. Christy Lamaster, who's going to be reading for you in a little bit, is going to be showing some some special um, seasonal themed movies. From the Nightingale, we don't even yeah. know what's going to happen. It it's family, and um, <laughs> and um, Jason was family to all of us as well. So I think you know similar vibe. Yeah, and soup and bread, Martha. Soup will and make bread, some chili, mm-hmm. hot dogs, some from hot dogs. We'll be making some chili. Yeah, so that's that. Go to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and should I go ahead and introduce the next? Please, yeah. So we're going to have to take a break because we're setting up to do. But after. Um, so next is Christy Lamaster is going to talk about Neutral Milk Hotel and Rains will provide the music. So let's just take, take a yeah real short break. Don't short. go far. Just set aside the record and you can buy it later. Yes. Hi, everyone. This will inevitably be less sad. Is that fair to say? Sure. Slightly less sad. Just as good. It's a high bar, uh, slightly worse, but it's going to be good. Chrissy, I have confidence in you. I think it could be as good. It's, it's more metaphysical than the last one. I don't know if that's good or bad. Ladies and gentlemen, what, Christy? You're going to have a great time. Chrissy Lamaster, and soon, but not now, reigns. Okay. 
First off, I'd like to thank Saki and Seth and um, all the guys for inviting us to do this and helping us set up. Um, notes about belonging and in the aeroplane over the sea. One, speaking about something you really love in public is a terrible idea. <laughs> Two, it's the end of 1999. I'm a junior in college. It's snowing. A boy with a beard and a guitar that I have been making out with gives me a tape with Avery Island on one side and Aeroplane on the other. I listen to it nonstop on the six-hour drive home for Xmas, memorize every line, and decide to keep making out with that boy. I could not tell you his name now if you had a bag of $1,000 bills and a snow-white kitten. <laughs> Two. Or three. Two or three. It's something to be in the presence of uh, the considerable talent that was Jeff Mangum. That is Jeff Mangum. He's still with us. I just am not looking at him currently. <laughs> There's a semiotic mystery afoot when so many of us love the same thing so vehemently. Almost all of my favorite people love this weird, noisy album. So in Neutral Milk Hotel, there is not only the possibility that one man could lead a group to build the perfect record, but also the great promise that one record, this universal, could exist. We could talk about why Jeff Mangum left the world for so long, but if we're honest, uh, we already knew. Because the world we imagine and the one we get are far, far apart. From his own mouth, it breaks down to something like the music couldn't fix us. This girl in the flower shirt, Jess, is my half-sister. But I'll hit you if you call her anything other than blood. She's a decade younger and faster than me. And in the car driving home for Christmas, singing our guts out, it's hard to tell whose voice is whose. As a society, we're pretty tired of psychoanalytical theory. Its patriarchal quality irks us, and its insistence on repressed desires can feel downright campy, but it still has useful concepts, a symbolic language to articulate our inexplicable attractions. And in the aeroplane over the sea, it trades in Freudian overtones. It's an album that wonders why we do what we do with our lovers and parents and friends, essentially the difficulty of organizing ourselves into families when memory, geography, and desire are so unreliable. There is a closing of the loop for many of us when we heard Neutral Milk Hotel for the first time. For example, those of us who grew up in small Midwestern towns out of range of a college radio stations whose parents were progressive and compassionate enough to make the local larger value system seem kind of fucked. Nirvana was good because they clearly made Casey Kasem uncomfortable, but Neutral Milk Hotel sounded like a special kind of made-in-the-basement magic, and Jeff Mangum's confusion was more immediate than fashionable. That was six. Seven. Aeroplane is also about bodies. With its disturbing imagery of fingers and spines and forks and shoulders, it's a bit bloody and messy. And the music is satisfyingly rough-hewn to match. The lyrics just abstract enough. The music just orchestrated enough. The whole thing just barely held together by a frail sonic distortion, blown out, buzzy, and breathing. Eight. Some of us live like we don't have bodies, either introverted or too bookish or ashamed, or maybe, most often, unaware of how beautiful we are to the outside world. Jeff Mangum hails us into our bodies with his loud, demanding voice and the banging, smashing drums. He snatches our pulses from right inside our chests and braids them into one glorious driving beat. You can sometimes barely hear him for the singing of the crowd. Nine. Being the older sister means that sometimes you get to look cool just because you got there first. 
One of the great joys is being able to introduce your sibling to music like Bikini Kill, and you get all sorts of undue cred for putting the stuff they didn't know about yet in front of them. But Jess found Neutral Milk Hotel all on her own, and when it became one of our road trip standbys, the new pleasure of geeking out as equals was revealed. And at one of Jeff Mangum's recent shows, where we had to sit apart, the concept of that felt so alien that at one point during the concert, I stood up in the crowd with a sign that read, Jess, this one's for you. Ten. And while we missed Jeff Mangum, we really wanted him to be okay. We cheered when he heard he was married to someone rad, and when he reappeared all sage and modesty, we realized we needed him to go away for a while so we could get our shit together. Because it's just a record, and it won't save us. Except for maybe just during the next few minutes. You should sing with us if you want. Thank you. Hi there, we're Reigns. I'm also Christy's sister, Jess, who she was talking about. And um, I would like to say that, Christy, this one is for you. We're going to start with Two-Headed Boy Part 2. Daddy, please hear this song that I sing. In your heart, there's a spark that just sings for a lover to bring. A child to your chest that could play as you And love all you have left like your. Please with those wings in your soul. 
Thank you again. We're Rains, and the song is called Ghost.
from the east sky From the top of a burning apartment building For these stories high And when her spirit left her body out It split the east I know that she will live forever All goes on and on and on And she goes And now she knows she'll never be morning paper blow into a home where no one can say Thanks for having us. That's good. Good job. You're good. Take a lot of photos of me. Uh, here we go. Unlike these talented individuals, I'm going to have Annie, who goes by the name Rock Paul, set up while I talk, because I talk a lot. And I know if I have any breaks, you'll all leave. So I know who came for who, and uh, that does not bode well for me, but let's get her up here right now. Okay, so. The first two records that were, I feel like we're in a horrible college lecture right now. The first two records that were discussed were from uh, white gentlemen in America released in their 20s. Now we're going to talk about a woman in her 30s. See, we already lost two. I understand how this goes. Uh, we're, now we're dealing with a woman in her 30s from Great Britain who does not care about your feelings. And that's why maybe we shouldn't have programmed it this way, but I don't care. P.J. Harvey is the best. Here's why. She's the best. Let's think about it. I shouldn't say there's no St. Vincent without P.J. Harvey. There still is a St. Vincent without P.J. Harvey. But, like, who did more for guitar in the last 20 years just straightforward, not noodly, like, let's use a synthesizer and call it a guitar Radiohead stuff, or, like, a bunch of effects, but actually just plain bluesy guitar from England. Is there any... I can't think of anyone that really changed it much, besides PJ. PJ Harvey's great. Uh, this is the first one that really turned me on. It's their fifth studio record, and it's a uh, confident, it's ballsy, and it's a bluesy record, and it's more straightforward than her first four, and I am not counting the demos. Even though it's a great record, it doesn't really count, it's a studio thing, and here's why this stuff matters. I talk very quickly. Actually, I talk at normal speed. Everyone else talks slow. Catch up, everybody. Anyways, 92, uh, Dry came out. Dry is an amazing name for a record. The cover is amazing. It looks like a crime scene. Uh, and it's not a bad thing. And, and when you think of alternative rock that doesn't suck, like, you're most likely thinking about the sound, the sound of this record, not necessarily the songs, because no one song really became that popular from it. The next one, uh, 93 is Rid of Me. Sounds like a Steve Albini album, and I love Steve Albini albums. My favorite album is a Steve Albini album. 
But Steve Albini is like baseball. There's no frills. Like, this is a, this is a pitch. We're going to hit the pitch, and we're going to strike out. That's what's going to happen. It's a baseball game. And that's why it's amazing. Let's just put a mic on the ceiling. Here's a Steve Albini record. I really, Good for him. And it, it really highlights the songwriting process. You can't be a horrible band and release a good record with Steve Albini. Remember that Bush record that Steve Albini produced? No, you don't, because it wasn't a good record. But it sounds like this. He knows how to move a microphone. It's amazing. Did you see Dave Grohl do anything in the last 10 years? He loves Steve Albini. He's an important guy with a goatee. Um, the Steve Albini record was about the potential of what could happen uh, as much as what was happening. And there's, no, and there's a beauty in that. It's like, an ex- it's like a well-executed double play and like a 15... I, this, this is a totally sports card. I could just tell all those people that came to 3700 West, uh, West Fullerton, Logan Square. You guys love baseball. Anyways... There's a thing called a pitch count, right? And, there, and uh, the more pitches you throw, the, the higher it's, the more likelihood that the batter's going to get on base. You're wearing down a pitcher. That's what a Steve Albini record is like. <laughs> that analogy totally makes sense to me. <laughs> so this is great. Okay. Um, this is the record that exemplifies what the Pixies and Nirvana and other good alt bands did really well, which is the really, really quiet verse. And then the really loud, angry thing, which is a very powerful thing. And the record that we're going to do, Stories, is none of that. So, a 95 to bring you my love sounds like a 1995 album. Uh, even the font choices remind me of 1995. Uh, this is the one where she's in the water, and the font looks like melancholy font. Um, and this one was not recorded with Steve Albini, but with Flood, and this is the same Flood that works on the Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails and the Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, and you could tell. And there's nothing wrong with Flood, but there's a really big difference in styles. The fact that there is a style makes it different. Uh, Albini style is live, quick, and what it sounds like in a big room, and Flood works with U2. So those are the two different styles. Lyrically, it's amazing. This is the, this is the single you might know, even if you don't know PJ Harvey. This, this is the Down by the Water single. And she's always been a fantastic lyricist, but if you pretend that you could relate to Down by the Water, you're a liar. Uh, when, when, I came out, when it came out in 95, I had no idea what it was about, and uh, 19 years later, I have no idea what it's about still. Um, it, could be, it could be about uh, killing your daughter. It could be about that. It could, but it could be from a male's point of view. Uh, either way, she's in the water. There's a lot of imagery with water, everybody. Once again, I love the song, and no one else could have made it, uh, but the bass sound, uh, I should tell my back to you like you got to queued up, but there's a bass sound. <laughs> it's the bass sound that U2's been using for the last 14 years, ever since 2000, to this new one that just loves Joey Ramone so much. It's that bass sound. Anyways, that's what people should be upset with U2 about, stealing P.J. Harvey's bass sound from 95. They gave you a free record, people. What's wrong with you? 98 is this desire featured more Flood being Flood. Uh, remember when Alanis Morissette re-released Jagged Little Pill as an acoustic record and it was only released in Starbucks? Do you remember that? It was a 10-year anniversary. It wasn't... A, that's a good record. If you, everyone owned that record. If you, you're an American. You're in here. You own that record. You don't even think you like it. Oh, man, I'm going to listen to Thankful after this and be thankful I have that record. That's a horrible pun. I would like her to do this because there's this stupid, like, 1988 sounding, like, electronic, not really electronic, but it's still a quiet record. It sounds like a door, which is not a bad Smashing Pumpkins record, but they're just fiddling, and it's so dated. Anyways, she should redo this one. Not that she needs to, and this is the record she's most proud of, and it makes sense. It's her last record recorded in her 20s. It's a really artistic endeavor. It it makes sense. This is, and now the throwaway record is the one that I love the most. Um... 
the, the throwaway record is 2000's uh, Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea. And this is an adult, adult, adult record. And it's the first record that Harvey made in her 30s. And it's the first record she produced with the two other musicians on the album, Rob Ellis and Mick Harvey, respectively. Now, one of those guys is in Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. How much longer do we have for you? All right, I'll, I'll talk quicker, but more. Um, here's the thing. Here, I, I'm a boy, and uh, I liked girls at the time. And I still like girls, but I'm a married man anyways. That's a side tangent. But I am a boy. And I was a boy, and um, I didn't own a P.J. Harvey record, but I love Nirvana, because I'm a boy, and I'm from the Midwest, and I didn't have a dad, so of course I love Nirvana records. But I also loved Radiohead, because I thought I was really smart. Um, and I went to Circuit City, fuck you, independent record stores, I went to Circuit City the day Kid A came out, because they had a crazy lithograph for free. But if you went to the, the Circuit City in North Riverside Mall, they had no idea who Radiohead was and said, what the fuck are you talking about? Sorry, I swore in front of the children. But that's what they said to me, because I was a child as well. I was 17, and another fellow 17-year-old who dropped out of school. Don't drop out of school. You're working at Circuit City. I'm pointing at you. Listen to me. Don't drop out, because if you drop out of school, you have to work at Circuit City, and those don't even exist anymore. <laughs> they didn't have it, so <laughs> they didn't have a lithograph, so I didn't get the deluxe edition. Whatever. Um, and that's how I found out about this record. Um, Tom York sings backup vocals on two of the songs, and he sings lead vocals on one of the songs. And I was the kid that used to stay up really late at night and watch JBTV. Now, JBTV is the longest-running, lowest-rated show in the history of television. That's a fact. Jerry Bryan, I, I, Jerry Bryan is an awesome dude. He let me interview him in high school and in college. Why did I go back? He's a weirdo. Anyways... Uh, and he played a lot of like these weird videos that no one else would play, in addition to incredibly mainstream stuff. So that's how I found out about P.J. Harvey. And I noticed that he's, he was talking about the Tom York thing, and uh, th there was this Uncle song, Rabbit in Your Headlights, and the only reason why most of the people in this room know who Uncle is is because Tom York sang that. There's another amazing Tom York song called Kill the President. That song is about Ferguson. Anyways, um, that did not land. I might cut that. <laughs> I might put that at the top of the show, too. We'll see what happens. So I got this record because of that name, and uh, what a shock. My girlfriend at the time liked it a hell of a lot more than Radiohead's Kid A, because uh, it's a better record, honestly. Now, Kid A used to be my favorite record when I was in college, because I was a dumb boy in college, and that's why you should never listen to people in their 20s. No offense, everyone in their... Probably, I don't know. We should, we should do a poll right now. Let's see. I'm going to go with 30s, actually. Kid A's aged pretty well. Um, this album is aged perfectly. It, it does not sound like a 2000 release. Um, it actually sounds like it was recorded in July and August of 2001 in New York City. Um, it wasn't. It was recorded the year before. But uh, the, the, here's what... I, I'm not trying to make a 9-11 joke, but, but this album, to me, it screams New York City, especially in that era. She won the Mercury Prize for this on September 11th. Um, she had one of, uh, one of the only, sh she won it well in Washington, D.C., too, so that makes it a little bit more, uh, weird, and, uh, she was one of the first artists to play Chicago after that, and, um, this is a giant love letter to New York. There's, it's one of the few records that you can, they call out specific neighborhoods, and it's not grading in any way. That's, I don't think, ever been done. People, I don't need to hear about New York City's neighborhoods at all. Oh, we're going to open, she's going to play three songs, not all at once. Um, that's why we're, I'm up here and, and not just her. The first one is she's going to, could we play, the, the first song is about whores. Uh, it's called The Horse Hustle, and that's a true fact. And uh, I feel like, okay, I could say that because it's part of the liner notes. 
I'm not making eye contact with you right now because I feel really uncomfortable, but that's okay. People have to learn about whores and hustling, and this is a great song to do it. Polly Jean had two supportive artsy parents. It makes sense. A huge success story. I'm just saying it. Likelihood of that happening for the year, really high. I don't think, I don't, unlike the first two albums that we talked about tonight, this was not written by a sad person. <laughs> this was written by a very satisfied person uh, who enjoys exploration. And I didn't think there'd be uh, such a nice person here in the front, so I'm trying to say things that are family-friendly about this record. I've never listened to this record in the daytime until today. This is not a daytime record. I've done illegal things to this record, and I don't even do drugs, so figure that out. And Oh, boy. I'm trying to think, like, would I let my kid listen to this record? I don't know. Do you know who Future is? God, this is the whitest crowd in West Logan Square. Future's a very, very, very popular rapper right now, and, and I really like his voice, but I don't listen to his stuff because it's horribly sexist. But I'm thinking I might rather have my kid listen to Future than this record by PJ Harvey, which I don't think contains any swear words. I don't think so. Don't you memorize the liner notes before these things? Okay. <laughs> Turn it at him. Like, thanks for being part of the bits. Um, how far? I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, you're ready. Fantastic. Why are you clapping so much? I'm sorry. That's insulting to me. Sorry that took so long. No, no, no. It was great. It's, not, it's probably not going to be worth all the fun. No, it's going to be. <laughs> I just walked your husband, by the way. You just walked the husband? Yeah. Oh boy. Hey, he's back! Aw, thanks, hon. What a good husband. You know what PJ Harvey's partners never said? Just checking on the meter. <laughs> never, <laughs> never said that. Ladies and gentlemen, Rock Falls. Speak to me of universal laws The whore's hustle and the hustler's whore All around me people bleed Speak to me your song of grief Speak to me of your inner charm, of how you keep me safe from harm. Well, I don't think so, I don't see. Speak to me, your inner peace. Sorry about that. Little people at the amusement park City people in the dark Speak to us, send us a sign Tell us something to keep us trying The whores hustle and the hustlers whore Too many people are out of love the whores hustle, the hustlers whore. 
Genocide and suicide, syphilis and greed. Speak to me the language of love, the language of violence, the language of the heart. This isn't the first time I've asked for money or love. Heaven and earth don't ever mean enough. Speak to me of heroin and speed. Just give me something that I can believe. The whores hustle in the hustler's whore. Too many people out of love. The whores hustle in the hustler's whore. The city's ripped right to the core. That was worth it. Um, I like that uh, the, the, the two of the songs that she's going to play this evening have, actually all of them have backup vocals, but she's smart enough not to ask me to sing backup vocals on anything. No, don't awe that. I've been in bands. Anyways, <laughs> the opening track for this record is instant. Uh, there's an instant uh, uh, vocal line. There's an instant guitar riff, and it's amazing. It's super, super direct, and it's, uh, in, within the first four lines, she pleads for a gun twice. She's late. She's setting the scene. It's a fun record. It's a jaunt in the country. It is weird that this was recorded in the country. I thought this was recorded in New York City until like this week. Anyways, uh, the chorus also informs us she's immortal. So I get that. She's having a fun time with a gun in New York City and feeling immortal. It's a good theme. It's the entire premise of Taxi Driver, but it's sung from a woman that's not insane. Anyways, uh, Good Fortune is the second track, and it's a mid-tempo, consistent songs. No big choruses, no odd instrumentation. Just a happy-sounding P.J. Harvey with more excellent lyrics. And that is why Pitchfork gave this album a 5.5. <laughs> it was too happy and too polished and too slick to them. The Metacritic rating is 92. Pitchfork was the only one that gave it such a horrible rating and then later included it in their top 100 albums of the decade. So, uh, just throwing that out there for posterity's sake. A Place Called Home is the third track, and it slows the album down, and, but not by much. And it's another song with a consistent pace, but this one has two vocal lines and a spare piano part. Four tracks in, we now know this is an album about a relationship, and uh, whether it's real or fictional, it does not matter. But this is the kitchen sink drama stuff, and I'm hopeful that the album is never adapted for the stage. <laughs> That'd be horrible. Beautiful Feeling is what you should try to achieve in song five with any romantic partner. Uh, it's the unquantifiable feeling th uh, of a song that's the goal, not the lyrics, though they are great and site-specific. This may be the first time San Diego has been used in a song that reeks of sexuality. The Horse Hustle and the Hustler's Whore, the fantastic uh, version that she just played and the song on the record, helps the listener get out of the twilight. We're about to make mistakes that will change this forever section of the album, and now we're back to just lust and money. And if you toss in money and heroin and speed into the equation, we're no longer in a romantic noir film. Now we're just in a sad reality. 
Did, uh, did Jason sing about heroin a lot? That's a weird question to ask. No? Just alcohol? God, that's sad. I'm buying that record. That, you guys did such a good job. Anyways, back to this uh, song about sex. This mess we're in, the duet with Tom York. It should have been a music video. This song, this is the one time I want to be the, P, the publicist for P.J. Harvey. That is a hit, guys. That's a hit. If this had a video, it would be on the top ten, the fuck, VH1. That would be the thing. It would be in every, look at the guy with the weird eye and the lady that used to be with Nick Cave. And then she'll soon be with Josh Homme and no one can hold a candle to her. If you make a video for that, everyone's including in the list. No video, and just people like us, or not even you wonderful people, just people like me scream about it for no reason. I don't get paid to do this. <laughs> this is why I love P.J. Harvey. I've never heard another songwriter do this within a song. She thanks the person who loves her in the song. No one does. Everyone should do that. My friend just got out of a horrible... He listens to the show, too, so I've got to make sure I don't mention the name. He just got out of a horrible relationship with a woman, and he gave her a lot of money to have an operation, so we're going to keep this family friendly. And, he's, and he called her a bad word after. And I got furious with him. And then my other friend defended him, being like, well, she's crazy. Well, he knew... You, you, lay in the, you get to pick who you sleep with here. What are we doing? You should be thankful. You should be mindful of your choices. Embrace them. That's what she's doing. Sex positive, guys. And don't talk... Bad words. Don't talk things to other... This is an interesting way to do this show. Don't talk... Don't speak ill of the people that decided to love you. That's actually the premise of... the song, we know it's going to fail. It's called this mess we're in. It's not like, we're going to have a kid now. No, it's, this is not going to end well. Thanks for being here. I hope you had a good time. That's the entire... That's, I just realized that's my career as well. Okay. Sorry, I, I wrote this down and I want to say it out loud. Um... There's, thank, thank the person who loves you. Be thankful of the person that decided you were worried to sleep with. Sorry about any sentence in a preposition. Uh, there, there are not a lot of, and there's no way to say sensual without being creepy, sensual duets that say thank you. That's one of those words. I just, ooh, sensual. Ugh. <laughs> if my wife was like, I got some sensual candles, I'd be like, you're not my wife anymore. Now we have to find new partners. This got really sad. I loved you so much. But uh, we have to have morals and ethics here, and we've just thrown them out the window. P.J. Harvey's never said the word sensual, ever. And she's worn jumpsuits. Uh, you said something is the song that name checks Brooklyn and the Empire State Building in Lower Manhattan, and it's not annoying, and I have no idea how that happened. Uh, the following album, uh, the following song on the album is called Kamikaze, and it's the shortest song on the album at 2 minutes and 24 seconds, and it's a jolt of a reminder that Harvey can play fast and loose, and that was a double entendre, obviously. This is Love is the song you can play at home. Now, uh, it's really, really simple power chords, and if you throw it in drop D, it's even easier. Ladies and gentlemen, if you throw this song in drop D, all you have to do is go to one, the first fret, and then the fifth fret, whatever you want. Do, 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 do. That's it. It's done. You now you know how to play a song. Anyways, it's incredibly, incredibly direct, and uh, Harvey calmly and loudly singing her request for chasing someone around the table and wanting to see someone undress, and uh, I'm going to talk more on that later. I didn't see the video for this song until we were doing this. I, had, I didn't see the videos for any of them. I think there's three videos for this record. I didn't see any of the live performances. I just love the record. And this is in the area, the era when you would uh, borrow your girlfriend's mom's minivan and go to Great America, or tell them you're going to Great America and listen to P.J. Harvey records and do other stuff. Anyways... Uh, I wish I did see this video when it came out because it's just a single shot of Harvey in a white Elvis-inspired suit playing guitar, and it's great, and watch it. Not now, even though we all have fantastic phones. Give it up for, uh, what do we have, Androids now? Give it up for Androids, everybody. Don't do that. Okay, Uh, the following song... 
We're Getting Sad Now is uh, a song I didn't enjoy very much when I got it in early 2001, and that's Horses in My Dreams. I wanted a more loud, brash declaration of carnality like we just heard, but it, no, you should definitely leave that. You do not want to read my notes. I don't want to expose people to, nope. Even people my age are like, that's, you should leave that. For the listener at home, I just put, intentionally put a piece of paper on the ground, and a nice young person was about to read it, and I don't want to ruin people or go to jail, so I'm not going to let them read that. But my girlfriend at the time did enjoy this song. So we listened to it quite a bit, and by the end of the year, by the end of 2001, I came around. It's nearly six minutes slow, reflective march, and it's the kind of song that's a good lead-in for the closer. Also, if if the album ended with like this, you might think Harvey had died. So it's good that she didn't. The last song on the album is We Float, and it isn't as slow as Horses in My Dreams, and there's a horrible program drum beat that keeps it from being a perfect song on a, to close the record, and it keeps it from being a perfect record, but the guitar line that comes in around minute three makes it a good choice for an album finale. Uh, if you are interested in hearing that song, I actually recommend the Tori Amos cover from an August show in North Carolina in 2014. I went to that tour, pretty cool, went with some bros, had a good bro night at the Tory show, it was great. My wife and her friends made steak and play poker at home. I'm not, telling, I'm not telling fibs. That's what happened. I'm sensitive. She's a horrible person that couldn't even make it here. Anyways, she's buying some sensual candles. Um, her, Tori Amos' version of this song would work really, really awesome as an album opener, and that's a completely pointless what-if that I did not need to put in your head. Anyways, she's going to play one line, and um, after that, we're going to wrap this thing up, and she's going to play another song after that. So, ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Rock Falls.
to your heart today To your heart from mine One line to keep us safe And I draw a line To your heart today To your heart from mine And pray PG Harvey would never date a guy like me because I do this stuff. I'm serious. Like, I like sports. I had a Chicago Blackhawks CD on earlier. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I talk really fast, really loud about a lot of different stuff. That's not cool in that world whatsoever. Uh, cool guys are guys like Nick Cave and blah, 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 and, and Tom York, who's got a weird to do, and Kurt Cobain, who loved PG Harvey. Thought, and like, that's why they recorded in Euro with Albini because of that record. That's okay. It's important, and, and PG Harvey. Uh, Blatantly, like she was my sexual awakening. That's a weird thing to say in front of people, but she was. She was the she was the person that was like her, and then with Bjork's second and third record, I'm like, oh, these are the sexiest records ever. Marvin Gaye, who cares? Like that's just the guy going, ooh, I get it. Like, but these people are challenging the listener and doing it in a very difficult way. Now, uh, that made me feel very sad for a very long time because I didn't think I'd have a hope. And he shot with a really cool lady. Um, I'm not. I come on. I'm like right on the fence of saying insulting things to an entire gender. So I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is mention what she did after this record. After this record, um, which toured for a very long time, and she hasn't done that since. It's really sad. Um, she's busy making uh, really good records, but just not touring. Um, she decided to do the Desert Sessions with Josh Homie. Now, Josh Homie, I think is today's, in all times and purposes, like coolest guy in mainstream rock and roll. And I don't think anyone's coming to Saki Records for some mainstream rock and roll. That being said, I think they're on Matador now, so it's fine. I could say Josh Homme's name in Saki Records. They collaborated together, and it's, and it's like, oh, that's what it would be like if we hung out. We would just be cool. We would just play lots of cool riffs. And then they did. And so we would, PJ Harvey and me, we'd play cool riffs and sing about doing it. And that'd be cool. And here's what they did. They sang about doing it. In, in, the, 2000, in the 2004, 5? I don't remember. I wrote it down. The 2003 version of the Desert Sessions, uh, which is his annual, like, screw around in the desert, uh, there, were two, there was uh, the Crawl Home single, which is them fighting in a car for three minutes. It's really uncomfortable. I like it a lot. <laughs> and then on the record, which the, and, and they played this on later with Jules Holland, which is a fantastic show. Give it up for that show, because that needs more press. Um, is the, make it with you which was recorded later for 2000 Sarah's Era Vulgaris with now his wife on backing vocals versus, uh, versus P.J. Harvey. 
P.J. Harvey leads to marriages, guys. That's all I'm saying. I'm married. I got this record. You want to get married? Get this record. If you don't want to get married and possibly divorce, pick up the current record, Let England Shake by P.J. Harvey, which is available here at Saki Records. It's a decent record. It's not as good as this one. This one is the best, and that's why I picked it. I have an amazing taste. She's amazing, and that's why I love doing this show, because no matter how poorly I do and how annoying I am, I brought her. She's got talent. And I brought Seth, and you like him. I didn't bring the middle act. He was very good. Obviously, Seth brought them, so I can't take any credit. But the first bookend, all me. No talent. Doesn't matter. Perfect taste. That's me. I'm like Flood. I produced the new YouTube record. It's on your iPhone. I don't care what you think. That's why we all have Androids now. Give it up for Androids. She's going to close the show. Do you think P.G. Harvey would have liked that? Anything we've done? I don't. I think she... We did Nick Cave last month. I don't think Nick Cave would have liked anything at all that I said. I said bad words the entire time because that record... We did uh, Dig Lazarus Dig. That has a lot of bad words on it. I didn't say as many as I would have tonight. Good job, me. Um, Before that, what did you you two do? You did uh, Paul Simon. Oh, that's nice. He would have liked that. But then he would have got married and divorced. It would have got weird. And then um, I did Beck's... Mutations. He would have hated that because I made fun of his religion the entire time. Scientology. And then uh, I did Nirvana's in utero. I think they would have liked that a lot. So in a way, I'm doing this for Dave Grohl. I think if I do any of these, Dave Grohl kind of likes it. Dave Grohl and me are BFFs, by the way. We're going to do a series. We're going to do a documentary series about me doing a documentary series about records I like. It's going to be called Podcasting Sonic Highways, and it's going to be fantastic. None of, no one in this room liked it. I've been living in D.C. too long. Ladies and gentlemen... The Fantastic Rock Falls. Oh, this is, oh I'm so happy you're doing this one. Ladies and gentlemen, for one last time, put your hands together for Rock Falls.
birds keep singing and you ride on life and the bells keep ringing and the battle is won and the planes keep winging and I'm right on time and the girl keeps singing and I'm right on time and the birds keep singing and you're right in line and the bells keep ringing and the battle is won Right on time, and the girl keeps singing. One day, I know there'll be a place called home. Rock Falls, everybody. I would like to point out, you, you do not need to cover your face due to humility. There's, if, you're too hum, if, you're, if you're too humble, put on a mask and call yourself Slipknot. Or <laughs> there's options, okay? That's an insult to Slipknot. They wear masks the entire show. Respect fellow artists. I'm going to give it up to Seth. Seth's going to plug some stuff, and he's a lot more reasonable than me. So thanks, everybody, for coming. Have a wonderful night. Ladies and gentlemen, Seth Vanek, everybody. Rock Falls, Brandon Weatherby. You can't, it doesn't get better than that. I forgot to mention, um, Aaron's wonderful LP is for sale here at Saki. Slipping the whole fast, you can buy it. There's probably a Rockfall 7-inch somewhere in here. Maybe. You could probably find. Rains, you guys were terrific. Where's your record? Do you guys have a band camp or something? Keep an eye on Rains, because, oh, man, that was good. And I mentioned the thing of the hideout, and um, we're going to try to keep this series going. Brandon's been really generous with letting me kind of get involved with programming it. We're going to do the next one on December 23rd at 6 p.m. about holiday music or music that makes you think of the holidays. So come to that, and uh, we're going to continue to do them, because as far as I can tell, there's no shortage of smart, interesting people and talented musicians around here. So... If you have any ideas, you know, get in touch with us, and, and then uh, we'll just keep going, right? Saki, okay with you guys? Cool. We love it here. <laughs> Buy some records, too, because this is a store. <laughs>